I have a question. What's up? I have a little, little, oh, God damn it. Do not eat. <laughs> I went for the quietest nuts. snack I could possibly find. It was olives. And that was the last one, Sam. actually. I've been waiting around okay, for great. 10 minutes okay, now. I'll just, oh, 10 minutes? Ten, wow. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing I'm late, so you could finish your snacks. <laughs> you have a tropical smoothie? I do. It's my first time. I got the Green Island Peacox. First, first? first one ever. Right. Yeah. I just wow. went crazy this morning. It's like, try something new. Tropical smoothie's great. It was our first, uh, back back in the day, like 12 years ago when I ran a photography studio oh. on the East Coast. It was our after shoot treat. Nice. Uh, yeah, you know, I went for the healthiest one I could find, smoothies. but I'm still not convinced. It's not. It's not. Let's not pretend like tropical smoothie is for a health yeah. time. It is for a a delicious natural sugar rush. Yeah, you know. All right, hit me with your yeah. premise. Okay, so I have a question. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's not a premise. This, okay, is, sorry, this is just question. a legitimate. This is just a little question. This isn't a whole episode. Where I'm not gonna like monopolize our brains or whatever uh but i do have a question like every month or two that there's an image that goes around the internet where uh number one is like a perfectly shaded perfectly known apple and number five oh god is nothing why is this happening aphantasia again is is going crazy viral again this is so weird to me yeah of course every time Every time, it's fine. Where do you fall on the scale, one to five? Uh, I picture the the almost nearly invisible apple. Which one? Is nearly that? invisible apple. Is that so the, you're like number. Is that the four? I don't, like I don't four. know which direction it goes. Probably four. Even then, it, it's um, yeah. I don't picture things in my head very clearly at all, if if at all. And it, when I do get kind of an image, it's like a brief flash. It's not like I can fixate on it. It's very, very okay. abstract. How about okay. you? But why? Have, why is this um, happening again? I don't understand. Don't, don't worry about it. I have um, hyperphantasia. Wow. The, the super duper one that like I can replay a memory like a movie. Oh, wow. I'm watching it. Like That's cool. uh, Minority Report with Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg, 2003. It's got a lot to say. 2001, whatever it is. Yeah. Great movie. <sighs> Tom Cruise, he makes great movies. If only he wasn't an ass. Anyway, yeah, so like when they're watching the little memory clips or whatever in that movie, and he's like just watching his kid run and like getting sad. I can do that, but with the majority of my memories. That's amazing. Uh, It's also really fun for food, right? So like I can like remember like a salsa that I had like forever ago, and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to remake that now. I wonder if that's part of what makes you such a good uh, cook. Because you can, you know, you have such wonderful recall of an experience. Certainly, I would think being able to remember something visually would help you put together flavors. But yeah, there's also like I also have the memory of the flavor, and then oh, can combine that. There's like that. There's that scene in Ratatouille uh-huh. where um, he's trying to dark. explain what yeah. food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it goes dark, and there's a little jazz, and then he makes him eat the piece of cheese, and then the strawberry and the cheese and strawberry together. That's like. That's wonderful. 
that's my favorite little scene. And that's what, like, that's what I do when I'm cooking. I'm just like, ooh, okay, I know that's going to do this, do, 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 and then I do mellow dance. Anyway, yeah, so I'm like a one, far, far, mm. far left to the one. Uh, I just found out my best, my best friend uh, of, like, 12 years is, is a hard five. Hmm. Just can't see anything when he reads, all he reads are words. So there's another thing that typically goes around at the same time as aphantasia called sub-vocalization. I'd be surprised if we hadn't actually already talked about this in some way. But that tends to go along with reading. Uh, When you read, do you just absorb the words or do you hear your own voice in your head reading out loud? Uh, Reading out loud. Yeah, me too. That's called sub-vocalization. Many people do not. Uh, They just can absorb the the words oh hang on i'm gonna i'm gonna text him right now (laughs) yeah it's uh i swear to god this is a weird internet phenomenon that these especially the aphantasia thing maybe it's because of that uh graphic that goes along and so so clearly uh, illustrates what it is and it's a kind of a bizarre word as well just to read and see it's like what what is that trying to say um but it is like every year it goes viral again. The very first time I heard a wonderful, interesting discussion about it was on the podcast Hello Internet, uh, which were two YouTubers. Uh, it's on hiatus. God, I really thought you were going to say Daring Fireballs. <laughs> no. John Gruber talk uh, show. Technically, yeah. His, uh, weirdly, John Gruber's podcast isn't called Daring Fireball. It's called The Talk Show. <laughs> it's weird. Anyway, um, yeah, Hello Internet. It's a wonderful podcast. Uh, I was... It's so weird to me that you brought this up because I was in a uh, wedding photographer Facebook group this morning where somebody had a poll about aphantasia and where do you lie in the thing. And I added a third poll option, which was just hello, internet, because that is where, it, to my knowledge, and I'm pretty, because I've edited at the time, like, how have I not heard about this? To my knowledge, hello, internet uh, brought sort of the idea of aphantasia to the mainstream before anyone else really on the internet. They were a huge, huge podcast. Uh, anyway, yeah. Why did you decide to bring that up? Oh, I was just curious. I just want to know because, like, it's like a pretty, it's a pretty key uh, experience for me, both as just existing, uh, but also like a pretty key part of my creative process mm. of like thinking about how a light is going, like a light source is going to hit me, or how a you know, a piece of reflective glass is going to show my face or, you know, like all of the things I'm like visualizing it as I'm setting up cool. for the thing yeah. and I'm going forth with the intention. Uh, and so that's, a that is this why you like insight so much? <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to bring up insight, but it does help. Uh, no, what I was going to say, I was actually also reading a random, uh, like 10 year old reddit thread uh from somebody who came to one of my workshops that was reviewing my workshop and it wasn't really a negative review but it, it did have it was almost like a it was a bit critical in the negative flavoring of how they characterized how much i use live view it was sort of like oh i'm surprised how much you use live view and then it was sort of phrased, if you read the full context of the review, in a way that it was like a bad thing. But for me, insight, yes, very, very helpful as a tool to, to visualize and get the idea, know exactly what direction to take something once I see it. But the uh, but live view was the very first thing for me, even though back in the DSLR days, nobody else was using live view because it was so slow. I would literally, my entire process was enable live view, 
kind of get the framing approximately what I wanted. Zoom in, manual focus, zoom back out, get the shot. And so you could in autofocus in, in any way. Um, yeah. Nikon was very good about at least showing you an accurate exposure reading and, and uh, uh, accurately showing you the depth of field without having to do anything tricky. It just worked. Canon was a very little good weird. is a little, well, a little yeah. generous. Yeah. Comparatively, it was amazing, but like it was not good no. in True. 2010 or 11. The, well, I don't, I think it would have been maybe 2014 when it was first at all usable. And uh, the most awkward thing was that these cameras weren't designed to, to really use that much and they didn't have flip out screens, right? It was just the screen on the back of the camera and it was awkward to use that feature socially because people would observe me, the photographer with a big camera holding it out in front of me like uh, an iPad or something. <laughs> uh, and it took actually a, many months of using it um, before I was comfortable and confident enough to not care that like people were like, why aren't you taking a photo? Or why, why are you looking at the back of your screen the whole time? Because I remember a time when it was thought to be... Um, what's the word, a handicap or kind of cheating or just a, a sign of a, a unskilled photographer to even review the image, like hit play and like look at the image. Like there was a school of thought that when you were starting out, you should tape the back of your screen so that you don't see what you're doing so that you learn how to read your exposure through the metering and, uh, you know, it becomes like an intuitive thing. And I actually can see a case for that, but also past a certain point, that's stupid. And I like just chucked that out the window and dove in to real-time feedback, which now everybody understands, and it's so obvious, given the mirrorless uh, cameras these days, that, yeah, that's the way it should be. Why, why bother uh, not having real-time review of exactly what you're doing? But it's just funny. That the corners of the internet that you find are amazing. Where <laughs> the hell did you find someone, uh, multiple someones, being like, yeah. Don't review your photos until it was a school right, of thought. Like that it was sounds... that wasn't actually on the internet. That was uh, observed by me from people who were teaching uh, their own like workshops and stuff. So it was probably uh, somebody from an era of shooting, maybe even pre digital. And you know, a lot of people, I think, a lot of photographers, when they evolve and start to teach, they tend to be at a later point in their photography journey, if not completely phased out of actively working or they've really, really settled on the equipment that they use because their process is just completely defined. And so, um, yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if a lot of people that shot film primarily and then maybe eventually transitioned to digital uh, understand and appreciate a certain um, quality uh, skill set that comes from shooting film where you do have to know how to meter and, and, and the limits of the film and the ISO that you're using based on uh, you know how much you can overexpose or underexpose. All that is was very difficult to learn in the film era. But once you got it, you could appreciate uh, and use that uh, to your advantage um, to get a certain look, like which is why people yeah. would under and overexpose certain kinds of film to get a certain look that really translated into the digital world. And, uh, yeah, I think that just was something that, um, also I think photographers like to make things appear harder than they are just to reinforce their sort of, uh, you know, this, well. this craftsmanship. <laughs> now I'm not saying photos can't be really difficult, but I do think certain things it's like, 
yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. The triangle of, of exposure, aperture, ISO, and aperture is like kind of mind-bending for a lot of people. They've literally never taken a photo, but it's not that hard to understand if you just take a minute. Anyway, uh, that's just one example. But I do, I do think photographers are trying to make things a lot harder than, um, like on a technical level, a lot harder than they need to be. Well, it's because we need people to pay us a living wage. I know. And that, that is that is totally valid. And because I think a lot of the, the true difficulty in photography is in the process and the like mental um, way you operate, which is very yeah. hard to explain and very hard to monetize. You know it when you see it happening or you know it when you get your photos back where that value is occurring. But it's really tough to like explain in a... Uh, on one web page when you're trying to sell your services to somebody versus, you know, look at this really technically a, complex picture and look at all these stats that I can spit out that, you know, I understand, but you probably don't. So, you know, pay me. <laughs> as, uh, as I shared in our secret episode, yes, or last week, um, been doing a lot of research <laughs> oh, on screen. I thought I didn't uh, post it or something. I've been a little. Old, no, that old. was my brains are ju- my brains just tired, man. Um, I, we had we had that New York City meetup this last weekend. Yes, I got a go? tattoo. My brains fried. Uh, but as an annoying trend that I've noticed on Instagram specifically over the last couple of weeks that's been popping up is people making videos. On oh why does your why does it cost so much to hire you, and then it is them listing off and oh, showing God. Yeah. their camera equipment with yeah. how much it costs. Yeah, and so it's like here's my fifty thousand dollar kit that I got with my five thousand dollar camera and my two thousand dollar lens and my three thousand dollar lens and my two thousand dollar lights and just go, like goes all the way down. And it's like that's why it costs so much. It's like no, that's. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not why it costs so much. That's <sighs> yeah, it's so frustrating. That's what to your see equipment that. costs. When, but like, as far as running a small business, I always like to point out: okay, yeah, fifty thousand dollars for your camera equipment. That's like a cheap, crappy van for somebody who uh, you know does like a trades job. Uh, not a trades tradesmith. What with I don't even know what you call them anymore. A, uh, trade, a, a, a trade job. A trade yeah, job. yeah. So like a handyman or woman. Uh, what's the, the handy person? Handy person. <laughs> Uh, just just having that as a job, you know, you're going to lay out like fifty grand to have a van to store, just to store all your equipment, right? So, I mean, in reality, I and mean, that's an extreme example, but I think it, hopefully it illustrates the point that, like, you know, a lot of jobs require way way more capital to get to get going, and uh, yeah, you, first and, of all, and then yeah. that's not blah, blah, blah. it's a start. I know, right? Oh, I hate it. Anyway, I'm glad you. (laughs) But I mean, it's not that that's not valid. It does take a lot to start. And I know a lot of people do get their start working for studios that will front the cost of uh, a whole gear kit. And you kind of will, um, (laughs) like indentured servitude style, earn it back as you work for them. But there's something to say for that. Like, it's really hard if you're literally starting from scratch or have a ton of debt to to lay out enough to get started can be a real trick. But it's not... And once you get the wheels moving, it's not that it's a one-time fixed cost as for as long as you need or want it to be, unless you break something, uh, which is also a huge benefit. Now you do have really recurring services and stuff, but it, it tickles me to death when people complain about Adobe's like $50 a month subscription model for Photoshop and Lightroom. I'm like, do you understand $70. that this tool, $70, whatever, 
Lightroom literally enabled almost the entirety of what we now know and realize and appreciate as the like wedding photography business. Uh, it it really was so much more difficult, and and you would really need to almost like hire a dedicated person just to do your editing because of how difficult Bridge and Photoshop used to be. Uh, anyway, it's it's hilarious to me that that I mean it makes sense if you're if, if it's a hobby and that's all you do seventy bucks a month that's a lot, but for professional it's, it's crazy. And then you know a lot of these subscription services. Uh, the, we don't have to get into the whole model of subscription, but the, the ongoing benefit of getting upgrades and, and your software that you rely on to continue to work as new processors and uh, computers are released year after year is like worth it. You're going to have to pay to upgrade uh, at some point. You might as well just get it as a, on an ongoing basis. And I always think it, of it, it as my client. $2,000. Yeah, right. Right, like you just pay $2,100 to buy Adobe Creative Suite. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. That's you got right. like mm-hmm. three patches and it was never new features. It was just, hey, we realized people could steal all of your computer. Uh, so we fixed that hole. Sorry. <laughs> and then that was it. That was all you got. Yeah. So like it made sense at a time where it came maybe, out one year. You know, tech was evolving a, a lot slower on a version base. But now it's like it's crazy. You have to basically have a subscription model to keep anything sustainable. But what I was going to say is. You know the the expense. So a lot of people complain about the uh, the uh, subscription based model for AI image editing, uh, and it is quite expensive if you do a high volume. It can add up. But I always think of it as like my clients are paying for this, <laughs> not me. That fifty dollars I'm I'm sending Imagine to edit my my wedding, like my clients. That that is built into my cost of business. If it's a problem, just charge a little bit more uh, if you can. I mean, there's obviously. A trade-off there. That's a mental game that I'm playing to justify it, but it's also pretty accurate. <laughs> like I'm losing money that I could otherwise save if I used a cheaper piece of software, but it's also I can just charge a little bit more. It, it's not that uh, difficult to justify if the tool really works. I'm just using Imagine as one example, but and Lightroom now. Hmm. Well, man, we yeah, he s- sent us down a, a path. Can I just say? I apologize. I just want to talk about an apple. I just. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I got my notification that my new iPhone is is coming. Excited to see what the titanium is like. I was not on the. Did you ever do the whole like five a.m. wake up uh, pre order game, or did you ever do the like wait in line at the store game? When I have never waited in line. Neither. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't particularly enjoy queue. I'm not. Uh, British, yeah. So like, I don't love it. Uh, that's a that's a that's a British stereotype, right? Enjoying queuing. Yeah, I, sounds... not not one that I've observed either. I don't quite understand where that comes from. But well, it's because they love to queue. It's, it's just I, I, I don't know. I man, see it just as often told. in the U.S. I, I have not observed that happening. I will say one thing that freaked me out. I was just walking in Heathrow, just arrived, and some musical thing came on over the loudspeakers and everybody stopped in place in the entire airport. Oh yeah. That's the minutes of remembrance. And it freaked me out because I had no idea. It's not like they said what to do. And so everybody stopped and then I kind of slowed down. I don't think I stopped, but I just kind of slowly. You thought you were in like an M night. I'm about to get pranked here. What is happening? The yeah. entire country is pulling a joke on you. <laughs> Just me. You are the main character of the UK. 
that day. It was was the day of remembrance. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the uh, the only time I've observed something where I was like, why is everybody waiting around? But they were literally frozen in place. It was odd. Yeah. So anybody listening, I don't even remember what day that would have been. Maybe November. If you... uh, It's... it's, uh, (laughs) I mean, we might have to edit this part out. Uh, but it's, 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 they're remembering, uh, it's, it's Remembrance Poppy, I believe. World War One Remembrance Day. Yes, because they also wear like the little pins with the poppy Yeah, they flowers. wear, they wear a poppy. Uh, anyway. Or, oh, it's bad. Uh. Can I just say. not have I'm, more. I'm yeah, very, I'm very, uh fixated this morning on just how underrated tiny spoons are i was getting my olives for my little snack before uh, coming up here and three times today i've uh, thought about just how useful tiny spoons are and how underrated they are they're just not an appreciated tool i use them all the time as somebody who's a connoisseur in the kitchen would you agree with that do you have I don't a- i don't know what to do with this information <laughs> uh yeah i love a tiny spoon sure I am also a tiny spoon. I have been a tiny Aww. spoon. I use a tiny spoon. Pro spoon in this. Okay, so now segueing this back to photography, uh, yeah. you've just reminded <laughs> okay, me of something. Me. Um, maybe this is hard to imagine in 2023, but back, what was it, 2012, 2013? Um, it was when uh, D.C. legalized gay marriage, and um, a lot of uh, people literally moved or just like uh, made a yep. pilgrimage to DC to do that from all over the country, uh, which is amazing. But I remember at one of the meetups, a uh, photographer was like, Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot more uh, you know, same sex couples, but I'm really struggling with how to pose them. And uh, uh, I, I believe it was a gay person said, Oh, you should just ask them, Are they a big or a little spoon? And then you can kind of figure it out from there. And I was like, <laughs> Yes. What do you think of that, Danny? I'm curious. I've never, I've never has, used that as a strategy. <laughs> I just pose them like I do anyone else. But I, it's, it's a really interesting way to approach. As the resident queer person on the podcast, I have a lot of feelings about being asked if I'm the big spoon or little <laughs> exactly. spoon. I would think posing. so, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's fine. I, mean, I it's like. I guess it depends it, on it your more, delivery. If you're really serious and awkward about it, that probably is going to make anyone kind of just be like, "Why are you asking me this?" I mean, it would probably just make me realize I hired the wrong photographer, <laughs> exactly. right? Because like yeah. the <laughs> the way that I would be posed uh, if I was um, dating a, a man or a non-binary person uh, doesn't change if I'm dating a woman right like mm-hmm. what what they're talking about is like oh i've got a bunch of very specific gendered uh expected poses that i run through and i don't know what to do yeah. when the gays are here and it's like well okay as a resident gay i can say we don't care yeah. use the same poses <laughs> exactly right like yeah. we're still in love we still want to touch each other's faces and smooch right like yeah. that's it 
That's all. And, and a lot of posing comes do. down to the um, you know the the height if, difference, if there is any, uh, and and how you know you can get people basically able to get close and cuddly without them having to stretch themselves into it. Right, that's where poses tend to break down for me. No matter who I'm photographing, if one person's really really tall and another is really short, or there's any type of weird differential in their body shapes. Uh, and one person has to like stick their neck out a little bit more awkwardly or wrap their hands around a little more stretched. That's when it starts to feel and look very forced. Uh, and you just want to do things either working with your environment or I like to have like a taller person do the splits and photograph them from the waist up. So that lowers them relative to the person, uh, shorter person. And, uh, and Oh, you meant can... just having them put their legs out a little bit and yeah. scooch down. I thought you meant the legitimate splits. <laughs> it's like I right on like, the ground. They... Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I do phrase it, uh, that is uh, one of my, if I do have a list of uh, go-to kind of jokey things that make people laugh, I I do deliver it as if I want them to do the splits, only because it's like, it confuses them exactly as you were, and makes them chuckle once they realize what I mean. Uh, But that's a great way to let somebody kind of lower them a few inches, and, uh, you know, as long as you're not doing a full body shot, uh, although I do take one and tell them I I use that uh, for for blackmail later, just because, you know. It's a cheesy joke. There it is. See? <laughs> there it is. Uh, and uh, it allows them to kind of cuddle up and get their faces physically close together without having to have an awkward hunch or like neck stretch or anything else. So anyway, that's the big thing. You're exactly right. A lot of people have this uh, archetype, this pattern of how they pose people. And it yeah. is very, one person just looks uh, very feminine and one person looks very masculine. And it's like that can can work, uh, but you really need to lean into the, the body types of people and then pay attention to their natural chemistry. It's not, it doesn't take more than five minutes to figure out like uh, how people interact with one another as long as you just start and don't make it awkward. But, yeah. yeah, it's really easy to just not make it awkward. Pro tip for any of the people who are photographing us gays, uh, just take our photo. That's it. That's my thing. I have considered one of the things that, um, you know, we, we've talked about this a couple of times about how I've been like debating, doing a little bit more freelancing and moonlighting. And I was like, what's the type of like descriptor that I could, you know, like, should I do? Oh, I only shoot elopements or I only shoot secular weddings or I only shoot gay weddings. And I was like, mm, maybe I should only shoot gay weddings. Maybe I should just become their premier queer photographer <laughs> for queer photographers. Yeah, that that's a thing. I, I see it all the time. Uh, although I, I, I say I see it. I see kind of the, the label in people's kind of bio. But I wonder if that's more of just trying to carve out or signal that, you know, happy to do it, not necessarily this is what I specialize in. Uh, this is all I do. Yeah. You, if you're having a, a traditional marriage in a in a church, I'm out. But if you're getting married <laughs> at a park or a bar, sign me up. I've done a lot right of gay there. weddings in a traditional church, surprisingly. It's uh, not well, uncommon. Yeah. yeah, we're we're both less and more hated now than ever. It's super. <laughs> it's super fun. <sighs> See, you were wondering what the, where I was going with the whole spoon conversation. And, and I love that. Morphed into... You know, one of the, one of the weirdest... Uh, and most enjoyable parts of um, 
running uh, the like hard parts of the community of glass is just randomly like once a quarter probably I have to kick off a, a transphobe or a homophobic person or someone who's saying something like really shitty and uh, like three times now in the last two two plus years because uh, we're we're like twenty six months or whatever in um, someone's been like. Why do you even? What's the? Why do you care? I'm like, dude, I'm not straight. <laughs> and like, anytime, anytime I get to be like, no, I'm not straight. So, haha. And it's like this. It's like a nice little final card that I get to play when I'm yep. being a nice, being a little, a little guy. It's super fun, you know. You know, it's a, you gotta enjoy the little things. Uh, I like it. <laughs> that's that's wonderful. Uh, I, that, I'm actually very impressed that it's only been three times i've been dealing with uh how to operate and and set insight results up for uh you know same-sex couples because i photograph a lot of them and what tends to happen is you know having two two men in the original source photo it will drastically if not put them in a dress uh one of the person in the couple because it's trying to like cram the result into you know, what is probably most of the data set that the, the model is built on, you know, same sex uh, bride and groom getting married. So it makes sense why it's happening. But to, to, to fight against it in terms of like setting up the code or the, um, the, the prompts that I'm using or whatever, it has been proven really quite difficult. I don't want somebody to, to get a result back and be like, oh, this makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, it's proving kind of difficult when I, it's any type of, or if somebody's not in uh, a tr- traditional wedding dress, actually, even just that is confuses it sometimes. So it's a trick. Well, AI is not very smart. No. Because it's not, it's not really AI. It's just a very right. complex, if it's not very smart right statement. now, but I'm excited to have it all built so that the day that it is uh, like a super genius, uh, you know, general intelligence. When that when that comes upon us, I'm going to be uh-huh. first to <laughs> first in line. We don't have to get down the AI route yet again. But I, I have found that an interesting um, issue to, to deal with, just in terms of um, yeah, trying to get something different uh, or or just outside of like what is clearly most of uh, these models' data set is tricky, tricky stuff. Stuff. Well, so it's how only the meetup because go? that data set doesn't like you. Oh my god, meetup was pretty great. Um, I'm pretty tired. I made some bad choices, and that was on me. Oh. Um, my bad choice was uh, to do literally anything before the meetup. Um, oh. So I <laughs> like, did. yeah, I got a tattoo the day before, and that was that was that a little oopsie. Um, no, it's a, quite a large tattoo as well. How long did it take? Uh, just under eight hours. So, like, just sitting around, getting eight hours on my collarbone, and <sighs> then, uh, and then like slept in a shoebox, and then woke up and was like, okay, now let's all hang out. Uh, but other than that, <laughs> other than my open wound that I gave myself before the meetup, it was it was great. I am. There are a few places, you know. Uh, Baltimore, New York, and Amsterdam, where we're going to be able to hold pretty regular meetups uh, because of our, um, you know, member uh, 
size in those cities, but also because of our ease of use to get to them, right? Like it costs me 30 bucks to get to New York if I plan. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to start having pretty regular meetups in New York and I'm pretty excited about it. Um, yeah. I, shockingly, I would say the typical round trip cost between Baltimore and New York for the Excella is um, close to like 400 bucks. The cheaper, slower train, which is about 40 minutes slower, I think. So it's it not that big of a difference is, is closer to maybe 250 round trip, but I got one at the daytime. During the daytime, like outside of rush rush hours, but I don't know why it was so cheap. I got a round trip, hundred bucks, twenty five dollars yeah. one way and uh, seventy five dollars another. I was very impressed, and hopefully that trend continues. The yeah, yeah so that's gonna be you and me riding to New York, doing a quick little meetup, and then riding back. You know, I I just complained about doing something beforehand, but like the idea of holding a meetup and then immediately getting on a train that takes three hours to get home and then get home is also a terrible idea that I'm going to do at least four times before I learn my lesson and just book a single yep. hotel it's rough. room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to do it and I can't wait. Uh, yeah. So we're going to have another New York meetup in like, I don't know, November probably. Yeah. I've done that sounds right. train up, uh, maybe leave it to get there, shoot an engagement, engagement session, train back. It's, um, it's not too bad if you're on the Excella. It's literally right around two hours, two, two hours, ten minutes. So just enough time to kind of get some work done. But the big problem if you're going and shooting is being able to, like, I can't do that with a wedding. because uh, Obviously, because <laughs> that would yeah. be wedding days are longer. But uh, it's the equipment. So if you do require, you know, backpack of stuff. I like to shoot very light. I hate having, like, a, even a backpack on my back while shooting a session would be insanely distracting and problematic for me <laughs> and yeah. in a way that I would just be uncomfortable. I just want my sling bag Slings and my normal stuff. Yeah. And yeah. the sling bag I use is it's not uh, on paper. It says it doesn't fit, but it just, if you just squeeze it hard enough, will fit the uh, 14 inch MacBook pro. And it's just Ooh. a light enough computer that I can shoot with that on. And it's not too uncomfortable. Yeah. The, um, I, I did run into a bit of a problem while in New York shooting photos in New York. Uh, New York is not a manual focus town. Um, <laughs> it is, it is, uh, Was this, you know, your you photos, went on a photo walk with everyone. Yeah. So we went, we went on our photo walk. Uh, and, um, it was great and I had a great time, but like the Medicon itself uh, moves a little slower and the manual focus is a little slower. And like, I, I missed so many photos, just endless amounts of photos, both either missing them because like, Oh, I'm just not going to take this. I missed focus. And now it's gone because the person walked past the frame or they walked past the little moment, whatever. Um, and so it's like that, that sucked. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't know what to do about that. Right. There's no, there's no like no solution here. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, you know, other than stop down here. I mean, that's why a lot of street photographers shoot like F8 and a wide-ish lens. Um, because yeah, no, I, I like to shoot kind of, at F8. Yeah. I like what am I going to do with F8 photos? So one thing I found. Look at things in focus. That's <laughs> not for me. Uh, when I was 2018, I went to Vietnam to photograph a wedding and I got there way earlier than I normally do for destination weddings to just take a couple days and get oriented. And I never got used to the time change. I remember feeling just the weirdest mood the entire time. I felt like I was 
not in my own body. And I just chalk, I guess, just chalk that up to the time change and culture shock. <laughs> but anyway, um, what I found, I really, really wanted to take photos in the, the dense food markets that they have in Hanoi. And uh, it was, uh, I had my regular camera equipment. So I, I, you know, big, it was the EOS R. So that was definitely shooting mirrorless at that time. And I found this little formula that I realized like, oh yeah, this is amazing. It works so great to shoot with the EOS R screen at a like 90 degree angle so that it's basically photographing sideways Mm -hmm. uh, from waist level sideways. So the lens is not pointed out in front of me, but my head is oriented straight out and the camera is off to the side and then shoot with my tilt shift and walk past all these street vendors and just slowly rip off photos, uh, you know, and because uh, the way tilt shift works, it's literally cutting like a slice of focus. So something can be in focus that's really close to you and really far away at the exact same time. You can have something in the foreground and the background focus at the exact same time. So anything that exists within that slice will be sharp. Now, it does a weird effect with the blur that a lot of people don't like the look of. It can look a little weird and just doesn't make sense to your brain because not a lot of people shoot tilt shift or free lens. It's the same effect. But because of that, I could just walk along and I wouldn't have to worry about refocusing. All I had to worry about was, was the slice, the line um, overlapping with the person's face or whatever I wanted, uh, which made it very, very fast and easy to get um, street photos candidly. And people half the time didn't even realize because my head wasn't pointed in their direction. So that's a strategy if you do a lot of street shooting. Uh, And also because of the way a tilt shift works, you can get a heck of a lot of depth without having to be that close to your subject. You know, a lot of times if you want that nice bokeh pop, you got to be within five foot range or so with a 50 at least. You could shoot like a really long telephoto, which is another reason people love those. They don't have to be physically close to their subject because a lot of people are uncomfortable doing that. But with tilt shift, you can shoot with like a 24 and get an insane amount of bokeh. It was a surprisingly useful lens for me when I was also on Safari. My 50 tilt shift, I used more than my uh, 200 millimeter F4 or whatever. Excuse me. Yeah. Sir. That's bananas. (laughs) Yeah, but it's crazy. You've safaried banana-ly. Yes. Uh, If you go on safari, I'd actually recommend getting the 85 tilt shift. That's another popular one. I don't own it, but that is what I would choose. Um, Well, I'm I'm not currently planning on going on safari anytime soon. (laughs) Sorry. uh, I don't know how I... Man, we are jumping all over the place today. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that would have worked well for you in New York, given your specific circumstance. And if you haven't tried it, you should try a free... uh, (laughs) I hate this name, but uh, you can Google it if you haven't. It's also popularly known as lens whacking, uh, but I like to call it free lensing. <laughs> uh, free lensing. You, you detach the lens from your, your camera body, keep it within sort of the mount a bit, but just hold it at a very slight angle and you get the same uh, tilt shift effect and just because it changes the plane of focus to be a diagonal. And uh, I bet that would work really well with the Medicon and the Fuji. Depends on how the mount, how it sits in the mount. I'm not sure. I'm a little, I'm a little worried about freelancing in general because it's just a, a worrisome thing right you're you're yeah, a lot of opportunity for dust and crap to get on your sensor yeah yeah uh i need to take a self-portrait with a like freelancing so just like holding the thing right in front of me and just like wiggle it around and get a self-portrait that way yeah. uh it's like one of my list of ideas that i have for the next oh god i've only got like 10 left 12 left nice 
Time's flying. Uh, yeah, admittedly, I didn't think of this at the time of how great this worked out, but I modified a 50 millimeter f1.8 prime lens because it was super cheap. And I figured, I don't know, I had it, I had two maybe, um, or at least one as, as a backup I never used. So I took the actual metal mount off to solely use it for free lensing. And um, ended up being just kind of the best lens you could possibly do that with because it's a 1.8. The rear element is very, very small and narrow. So you can get, especially once you take the metal mount off, a huge amount of angle. And uh, you get natural light leaks because of that gap now. And so if you want to borrow mine or you can find a cheap 51.8 for like 80 bucks, even if it's broken, like if it doesn't autofocus anymore, just uh, rip off all the screws, expose just the rear element. And then it's a wonderful lens to, to free lens with. And you can use it on any camera because you're not attaching it to the mount on purpose. Um, it's a lot of really cool artifacts that way. So. This is, this is a surprising amount of confusing information. <laughs> I am both surprised oh, okay. and confused. Well, let me explain. So but, rip but, off. Yeah. Okay. okay yeah. So I'm ripping off the back part right so like let's say the lens here i have a lens here i yes. don't care for it right so now like <laughs> suddenly yeah. i've got this uh metal mount yep so I just unscrew this little screw and that's it that's all i I'm gonna, unscrew i'm gonna describe it in a little more detail for people that aren't watching and also send you uh my modification over iMessage right now so you can see it'll make sense as soon as you see it uh, and I, I again didn't realize just how perfect this lens would be I only did it um, because it was cheap uh, but it is the perfect lens for super easy free lensing if you like to free lens a lot and honestly that's something I've been meaning to throw back in my bag I haven't actually done it in a while but you can also free lens with any lens that you can um, as long as it when it's detached from the mount uh, the aperture stays open um, older Canon, I think it's just their EF lenses. When it detaches from the camera mount, the aperture closes. Nikon yeah. always uh, like was uh, had an edge with Nikon um, because when they detached, the aperture was open. And uh, anyway, so yeah, did you get my message? I did. Yeah, so you can see that it's not. I didn't really emphasize the mount being gone. Maybe I did later in the article. Oh, I did. Here, I'll just send you the freaking article. And There's anybody an else link. curious? Yes, I need to. I really need to start writing public articles again. Um, anybody that's curious, just Google Sam Hurd freelancing, and you can find my my article on my my webpage. And yeah, I literally just took all the metal off just by unscrewing the the mounts, and then you just have a huge amount of flexibility to um, freelance. It's cool. And if you look down at the photo examples, there's one that really illustrates the point of something being in focus in the foreground and background of a couple on a tennis court. And I was shooting through the net and they were off on the other side of the court and the net is in focus. And so are they at the same time. That's a little extreme. It does look like yeah. photoshopped, but it's, that's how it looks in camera. Uh, there's another one, a bride standing in front of a, a painting that I love actually, because she's in focus, just her face and then it slices through to the, the painting uh, that was on her wall in her family's home a slice of that painting was also in focus pretty cool um, and a weird portrait of ron paul <laughs> i got so <laughs> much crap for that oh my god his followers are intense they were so mad that i uh didn't use the opportunity to take something uh that they could use to promote him because they just hated the the portrait and i was like oh, I i'm so sorry god i was just doing what i wanted to do i didn't realize anyway 
Yeah. Sorry, you should have been a better libertarian, Sam. You should have, <laughs> you know. Yes. But, uh, again, one of the other cool things is, and this can get out of control in a way that is probably way past usable, but the light leaks that you can get are really cool, um, as long as you don't get too overboard. Because you literally have a crack between, or a gap between your sensor and the lens. Yeah. Sun leaks through there. You get... Awesome light leaks, which used to be really cool. I mean, that was one fun thing about old film cameras that were poorly constructed. You would get these weird cracks of light that would make an un, you know unanticipated, random, organic effect. You can do that with digital you gotta cameras. Get a little things. bit of joy. And with our... mirrorless, seeing that in real time now, it's money. And with mirrorless actually highlighting, uh, because um, focus speaking still works. Uh, all it's doing is an assessment of. Um, it, it doesn't need any lens data for focus speaking to work. So you can detach and free lens and you'll get a red or white or whatever color you have highlight on exactly what's in focus. It's awesome. So much easier yeah, than it used to be. Cool. Yeah. Three, so, three I'm, hope, for I'm hoping if I've, yeah, if you've never, if you're listening, if you haven't okay, tried fine. it. Uh, I will freelance myself portrait. <laughs> you can make that your thing. day. Just make your whole branding freelancing for free people. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> freelancing for people. Free and then and then freaks. charge more than anyone else. That's the key. Like yeah, free that's the dream. for free people. Gonna, $5, gonna shoot a, a single session. wedding a year, and that's it. That's gonna pay for my life. Uh, <laughs> there was a um, back before I ever shot my first wedding. There was a photographer that came to the press club, and uh, because the, that press club is literally a membership of journalists, uh, including photojournalists, and so they have like all these little member uh, club within the press club things including a photo group and it's a lot of really really older folks that i never connected with because they're retired that's all they really have time to do anymore is hang out at the press club and talk about photography but some legends there so they have some sway to put they had i, I haven't been there in a while but they would pull in some pretty legendary people that uh, and one i can't remember his actual name but uh he had his whole career uh, shooting mostly luxury, super high-end weddings, and he came to demo. I think they were called spider lights. So it was continuous lights for uh, portraits, which now seems really obvious, but back in 2009, yep. that was pretty novel. And he uh, he also had a big promo for an album company he uses because he would do one or two, like, $100,000 weddings a year. That was his business model. And one of his things that would impress his clients the most was making their wedding album on the wedding day. And I thought that was silly because it's like, that's, are you, and then you take pictures of them opening up their wedding album that you just photographed. And then what do you do? Make another album with their reactions to that? Yeah, rinse, repeat. <laughs> and then you <laughs> I always think that's YouTube so channel. funny about um, when videographers, I've, I've worked with them several times, marketing gold but they'll set up a projector later in the reception and show like a highlight reel of the day and i always find that so funny because i photograph them reacting to that and it just seems very like meta in a we're way already that here exactly we're like doing the we're... thing this isn't what we're here to do right now but people lose their minds about uh that because it, it, it's just you know if it's a good videographer that's a pretty impressive thing to do but i think it really takes away from the focus of like this is a this is about their wedding not about your video or you know that's another reason i never got into slideshows uh, as a photographer it's another it's marketing gold though like people people will ask who did this uh what is your what is your instagram i'm going to follow up with you for my wedding 
When you had a studio space, a, a dedicated studio space, did you ever do the client slideshows? Because client slideshows for us was a big like sales thing, right? So like we would charge 250 bucks or whatever for the session fee. And then you would, uh, for like uh, senior portraits, right? Like senior portrait would be like, okay, you've got your session fee, 250 bucks. That is a credit applied to whichever package that you're purchasing and then you purchase X amount of photos. So like the lower package was like three or five photos. I don't remember that you got, I want to say it was three. Uh, and that was like 900 bucks. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm really surprised that business model continues to work really well for a lot of people. It's not in my nature to sell something like that. And uh, so it keeps if, going, right? Yeah. Uh, for, for those of you that don't know what it is, it's like the next package is like 10 photos. The next one is like 20 or 30. And then you get X amount of prints with it or X amount of, uh, you know, like little cutouts to give to your family, whatever it may be. And then you can also, you also get like the digital files to share on social. Uh, but it was like, you know. We're, we're, we're talking like a, a production, right? You know, like, oh, come on downstairs. Here's your uh, champagne for the parents if you yeah. drink. If not, here's your sparkling water. Here's your, you know, like rinse, repeat. Here's your very emotional music. You know, like it was um, in hindsight a little emotionally manipulative oh. to like <laughs> put like yes. Howard Shores like... Bright, That's all wonderful. selling stuff is. You're just emotionally manipulating people. Uh, yeah, I never did that. No, I would do meet clients in person so they could like uh, physically look through some albums. But it was not even about and physically know you exist. So, yeah, that. Right. But it wasn't even about selling the album. It was about just having uh, something to do while we were talking through things. And um, yeah, but I left a lot of money on the table. I'm sure by not leveraging the studio space to do that, but it's again, not in my nature. And I just don't want people to feel like they have to, they're going to react a certain way, even if they hate the photos, uh, no matter what. It's actually really interesting. like psychology to think about, like if you were there and you make this, you know, whole, you craft this atmosphere and especially music, just totally manipulates how people interpret a photo. It's, it's fascinating to me and actually something I, I really struggle with, um, I guess, morally. I don't know the right word, but when photographers will take uh, an artist's song and put it in their slideshow, I'm like, God, 50% of what you're feeling watching the slideshow is from the music that this photographer has nothing to do with. It's not like they wrote the song. They didn't write and record it. This is not part of their craft. Not, you know, I'm not saying they didn't cite and make it very clear what's happening, but it's just such an uncomfortable thing to me. But they're going to react a certain way when you set all this up in your favor. And I don't want people to have to feel like that. I want them to have the, a genuine, like, oh, my God, I love these photos. Or probably happens sometimes. Oh, my God, I hate these photos. And, like, never talk How to me again. How often do people hate fine. your photos and never talk to you again? Oh, I'm sure all the time. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I take that back. <laughs> I'm sure it has happened a few before. But um, I'm, I'm sure it happens. I'm sure uh, what I mean by all the time is I'm sure there's many photos in every gallery that I deliver that clients don't like. Now, thankfully, they're, I think, out weighed by the photos they do like but you know i think the everything skews in your favor when you're sitting with them and you have this very controlled environment they're always going to come away with a positive reaction one of the things i've also found really fascinating my sorry popcorn is crying is how uh and this is actually an issue with iphones and uh, you know 
being so pervasive now, the client will get and see like wide angle ceremony shot of their, their wedding ceremony. And the sky is really blue or cloudy or whatever looks the way it does. Yeah. I might, have, I might have to let him out in a second. And then I will edit it so that it's like really high key. Maybe I couldn't get enough dynamic range. Maybe the light just, you know, the, the sky is just basically white because I'm overexposing because they were in shadows or something like that. And I've had clients say like, Ooh, but my friend's iPhone picture, like there was a really crazy cool cloud in the sky. And I was like, okay, well, if you notice you, everybody in the environment is super dark and blue because they're in shade and they, the phone is doesn't have you know unlimited depth of field or, or sorry dynamic range the phone is capturing and exposing for the sky so i can edit your photos to have the sky be blue but you're not going to look the way that you look right now it's a trade-off yeah. right i'm having to make and some clients don't understand that and, and iphone perspectives and the way things look can shape how they expect it to look in your photos and that can be somewhat of a any disconnect like that is setting yourself up for um, a problem so tying that back to in-person in sales, uh, I do think there's a genuine, um, though it is emotionally manipulative in a lot of ways, uh, genuinely, it's, it's a positive way to present your work because people will interpret it, um, hopefully, much more positively. Did you ever have an experience where somebody was like, we're not ordering any of these, we're really upset, I look awful, or something like that? Oh, no. I'm an exceptional and, <laughs> yeah, and even better salesman, you know? Uh, the, the biggest complaint that we had was people coming in expecting to buy the $600 package and leaving, having ordered the $1,300 one, like eh, oh. every other time, probably that is w what happened. They, Wait, they like complain that they spent too well, much. Well, just like they would, they would think and like come in with the idea of, okay, I'm buying three. I get, or, you know, like it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, we can afford this, but it hurts. Or yeah, it's oh. like on the edge or, oh, it's a little more than we budgeted that sort of thing. Uh, but then once you're in the room seeing the images and like winnowing down to three, uh, you know, and like, it's your kid and you're like immortalizing them in like this very last time they're at home. And this is how you're going to remember this section of their lives. And suddenly you have to pick three. Ah, um, <laughs> and then I had, I had, I did have one mom who complained that I made her son too hot. Uh, <laughs> okay. She like, he was like, uh, he was a football player and like ripped. And, uh, so he and I were like doing a regular normal session. And then, uh, one of the locations that we shot at, uh, had a pool and I was like, uh, let's do, you want to hop in the pool, man? Like, you, I'll, I'll get in the pool if you want to get in the pool. He's like, yeah, let's get in the pool. So we, like, hopped in the pool and did, like, a whole extra, like, half hour shooting in the pool. And I did, like, a, um, <laughs> I did, like, a hilarious Baywatch jump out of a, you know, like, Little Mermaid nice. push out of the water, shaking oh his God. hair. And, nice. uh, you know, like, he was, he was, his name was Jason. And, like, Jason, man, Jason killed it. Uh, and his mom was like, I was not prepared to see my son looking like a man today. And that's on me. That's not on you. I will not be purchasing the ones where he looks like a man. And I was like, it's fine, Jason. I'll send it to you. You're good, buddy. Uh, Amazing. See, yeah, I couldn't deal with that. Weird. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't deal with it. People, some, I was watching the movie once the other day. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, of course. I yeah, love to cry. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
so good, man. Such an underrated. And you know what's crazy about that film in particular? It's not underrated. It won an Oscar. No, uh, I know, I know. But um, it became like it underrated one of the in my largest. Head. Sorry, it was for me. I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah. Sorry, you but control what, that rating, what is, Sam. What is mind blowing though is it that it, it is way better than uh, like I'd forgotten just how technically budget the whole thing was it was filmed kind of documentary type style with real crappy cameras clearly digital oh yeah they had like 20 bucks yeah and uh it's kind of maybe they exist and they just don't break through the noise in a way that i ever see plus i don't really watch youtube but i'm kind of shocked that there haven't been some really groundbreaking big uh mainstream successful like youtube films that have come out because you really could have filmed the entirety of once on an iphone no doubt in my mind and it would have looked better in every way they had nothing that an iphone wouldn't do like way way better now and uh obviously you still need the excellent musicianship and and actors and lighting but you can do that uh for a lot less than uh, you used to be able to so anyway uh, I mean, like, there were, there are a lot of, like, things that are happening here, right? You know, because, like, once is also, they literally fell in love in real life. uh, While making, oh, yeah, they dated, they dated for, like, four years. Hmm. Uh, It's, like, this, their second album, uh, because they, so it was once, which is uh, Glenn Hansard and, um, oh, what is her name? Uh, Marquetta. Or Golva, there we go, Marquetta. Uh, they like filmed the thing. He was uh, part of the Irish band The Frames, right. uh, and then they met while putting this together, working on it, uh, and so they recorded annoyed. it as mm-hmm. their own thing. Uh, and then they made the film. And during filming, they fell in love. They started a band together, re-released the album under that band's name, which is called The Sewing Season. And then they went on a you know, like two-year world tour. Cool. And it was amazing and wonderful and terrible. And then they <laughs> right. realized that they for... shouldn't you know, mm-hmm. actually be together and that their love, while wonderful and beautiful, was a, uh, you know, a temporary real thing, life. a long-term yeah. thing. Uh, well, it was real life. It's just not a not like the long term thing that they were looking for. Right. So then when you they meet somebody up. outside of like your actual life context, it's like a camp girlfriend. Like in summer yeah. camp, people fall in love and date, and then they go home and they're like, "Oh crap, this doesn't work." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, story of my life, man. Summer camp romance. <laughs> uh, yes. And so then they recorded an album during their breakup. Wow. So their second album is like them processing their breakup, and it's like soul crushing uh and then they went on tour one last time and uh they haven't recorded anything ever since i love so, them so three things this first thing you're gonna i think love or you might hate but i specifically I asked gbt about the story of once and if it could tell me any interesting facts about it and it left all of that out didn't mention anything about any of that it said other things mostly about the director that wrote and directed it so that's annoying. <laughs> yeah, you missed out on GPT the real really missed out drama. A, a lot of the drama. Yeah. Uh, two, she, uh, what made me think of that movie was her ability to negotiate from $3,000 down to $2,000. Uh, you know, he said nothing. It was just in her nature to be very much like 
we're going to pay you 1000 and then meet in the middle at two. It's, it's amazing to me, people that have that ability to be so... It's, it's partially maybe a confidence thing, but it's weird because you're not... It's the, uh, uh, the studio owner or, or any situation in life where this has happened uh, to me. It's not like I really dislike the person for talking me down, but when I do that to somebody else, I feel like I'm going to insult them or make them feel uh, disliked or that I don't value them. But yeah, it's weird. Negotiating, especially when it comes to money and selling, is just such a weird kind of art form that some people either have it or you don't. I definitely yeah. uh, do not. I just I can sell things that I believe in because I just talk about them and hopefully highlight the strengths and positive aspects and uh, people buy it or they don't. And that's where it kind of ends for me. And then there's a third thing about wants. Now I can't remember because my dog is really stressing me out. He's mad that I'm, I'm eating my chicken sandwich up here without him. I mean, I'm mad that you're eating a chicken sandwich during recording. So, hey, Popcorn and I have something <laughs> in common. I can let you just, like, you know, hang out with your dog and eat your food. We can we can just, you know. But uh, before you go, enjoy, look up The Swell Season, uh, because they made a documentary about, about the that. following tour and wow. or okay. uh, breakup. Um, the Swell Season. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's the documentary about the success of their documentary style film. Oh, it is on YouTube. Cool, what a joy. And then there's you know some like heartbreaking songs that you can listen to. Oh, they're yeah. still touring. Yeah, one that's of the best crazy. concerts I ever. Look how old they are now. Well, yeah, time happens, man. Look at that. She got. She's she beautiful. got married. He's old. She, yeah, they're like ten years, fifteen years apart, something oh. like that. Which is another reason why <laughs> you know their relationship didn't work out. But uh, they are great. It's a great concert in person. Wonderful. I've been like four times. You're gonna love it. Cool. All right. Well, this has been an episode of everything, so we'll just end it there. Yeah. Uh, it's a hey, happy sorry everyone, this was a everything appreciation instead of endless. <laughs> uh, <laughs> subscribe to Glass. <laughs>